everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important in our lives today. I'm your local mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. I've had a few special requests lately to replay the show that originally aired on May 18th, the weekend of the Joshua Tree Music Festival. That show was about music and the muse and the Yoruban goddess Oya, who is associated with winds and storms. So, in deference to the listeners who'd like to hear this show, and out of respect for Oya, who has certainly been present here in the Mojave for the last week, we'll turn the clock back today to May 18th. Sing to me, O muse, of the Joshua Tree Music Festival. I, like many of you, am feeling very inspired right now about our annual music festival. Anticipating this marvelous mix of music, art, soul, and community, I thought that today I would provide you with a little bit of mythic food for thought about music and about what might be happening out there at the campground as I speak. You might have already noticed that the word muse is very closely related to our word music. That's because in Greek mythology, there were nine muses who were the goddesses of music, song, and dance, and the source of inspiration to all poets. They were also the goddesses of knowledge, who remembered everything that had come to pass. As one of the interesting things about the muses is that they were the daughters of Zeus and Nemesine, or memory depicted as very beautiful young women, they inspired all of the poets. Homer, who I quoted at the very beginning with that little sing-to-me-o muse, he said, all of the people who gave us the original poems that are the cornerstone of Western civilization. Their cult was on Mount Halicon in Greece, which is a real place, and People, men actually, used to congregate there and hang out with the shepherds who were the original recipients of ideas from the muse. Now, I really like this idea that the muse, as poetry and musical inspiration, is closely connected to the idea of memory. When we talk about memory, we're not talking about just personal memories, you know, what happened to you literally in your life, but we're talking about the memory of the world, of the world soul, and the ability of artists, poets, and musicians to tap into something and tell us about something more than what just might have happened to him or her. This idea that music in particular comes from something outside, that the ability to create it uh, is a process of channeling, as is the ability to perform it, 
is a really, really ancient idea. To be infused by something compelling that comes from the outside. You know, yesterday I heard an interview with Tom Waits on YouTube where he was giving his acceptance speech into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And what really struck me is that Waits talked about the need to be quiet, to just wait and let the big ideas come. He said it was a lot like fishing, just waiting for that big fish. And I have heard Bob Dylan's process described also in that metaphor of fishing, of sitting and waiting to catch the really big fish. That waiting is also waiting on the muse. So when we're thinking about or feeling our way into the myth, the relationship between mythology and music, we are talking about something that's very old, and we're also noting that the power of music comes, like the power of mythology, from its roots in the archetypal. So music isn't necessarily a narrative. I mean, although there are ballads and songs that tell stories, music doesn't necessarily have to be a narrative like a myth does. But both of those things are coming from the same really deep waters, from the imaginative unconscious that mixes the other in the world with the human that connects our personal experiences or allows us to use the filter of our personality to tap into the collective. Now, I know that as a writer and a storyteller, I long for this experience of being visited by the muse, of being inspired and transported into something that is much juicier than anything I can come up with on my own. And I know that there are many, many uh, others of you out here in the desert with a similar longing. This idea that the desert is a place that is loved by the muses is one way to imagine the creative vitality that I think many of us feel like we can tap into here. Another thing that I just want to throw out to you in my quest here to provide a little mythic food for the musical experience that we're all sharing this weekend is the understanding that a primary dynamic in our psychic life, and I'm talking about our personal psychology and also the psychology of our culture, is the dance between masculine and feminine energies. I'm not talking about men and women per se as gendered individuals. I'm talking about the archetypal dualism and dialectic between the qualities that human beings describe as being particular to one or the other orientation. So for example, archetypally and even culturally in the way that we use these symbols, the sun is usually imagined to be masculine and the moon feminine. And there's a similar sort of relationship between thought and emotion. Thought is being associated with the masculine, emotion with the feminine. Well, so what does this have to do with music? 
in music, in the creation of music, the instruments and the mathematical structure, the form of music, is often connected to the masculine. So in Greek mythology, for example, the trickster Hermes creates the lyre, which is the first instrument. And he gives it to Apollo, the god of order and structure and mathematics, as a means to make music. And Apollo then becomes the Greek god of music. And then also in Greek mythology, of course, we have Pan with his flute fashioned from hollow reeds. Pan like the, uh, the original image of the Pied Piper who played music that nobody could resist. So the form and the instruments have often been connected mythologically with the masculine. But as we see with the muses, the inspiration, the soul of music comes from the feminine, from the muse, and also the act of listening. You know, the ear is considered to be feminine in its receptivity. Listening to music puts us in contact with the feminine archetypal energies, as does dancing, which is, honestly, an embodied form of listening, right? Of responding to the music. This emotional uh, movement, being moved by music, the Greeks understood that to be cathartic. They understood that to be healing. And I can tell you for sure that all of our local founders and supporters of the Joshua Tree Music Festival understand that, whether or not they put it in those terms, that there is something that brings us all together in a healing fashion, something about music that can do that. And that is super old, and we can find that in mythology. For example, right now at the round table. We are reading Homer's epic poem, which starts, Sing to me of the man, O Muse, about Odysseus. In that poem, there are several places where Odysseus is sitting at a feast and the bard starts singing about his history, about the battles at Troy that Odysseus fought about his disagreements with Achilles, one of the other great heroes. And Odysseus cries when he hears this. Now, what we're supposed to understand, of course, is that those are painful memories. But also what we're supposed to understand from that is that there is a healing that is taking place for Odysseus. There is a way in which the music conveying the memory of his past is going to help him make something out of that. And it's going to be the story that he tells us in Homer's poem, The Odyssey. But there's this beautiful relationship there between the music and the emotions that elicits his memories and his ability to turn that into a story that's useful to him and to the rest of us. So I've been talking here a lot about Greek mythology, but these ideas are found in other cultural mythologies as well. Um, For example, in Hinduism, the Hindus have the goddess Vak, who was known as the universal poetess. 
And her name, Vak, which is Sanskrit, means word and voice. Vak is the goddess who forms the universe through the creative power of her word. And this is a word that many of us today know. Right. In Hindu cosmology, sublime sound, beginning with the word Om, is the essential nature of all that is. Vak is the mother of the four sacred Vedas, which are the spiritual text uh, underlying Hinduism. And the Vedas contain many, many, many songs and hymns. Because from the Vedic perspective, to understand the sacred mysteries of the universe, you have to perceive with your mind, that is, hear the words, get the ideas, and you have to feel with your heart. And the way to do that is through music. It's through singing the poetry, the chanting. These are pathways to heart experience and to a spontaneous reception of the spiritual truths. And I have to point out here again that again we have this interplay between the archetypal masculine and the feminine. This idea that there is structure, something that's apprehended by the mind, and that there is also something more dynamic, fluid, soulful, that is felt on the emotional level, on the heart level. If we can move past the patriarchal values that privilege the masculine over the feminine, then we can find many lovely and useful ways of understanding the creative power between the union and the tension, even, between these two forces, the masculine and the feminine. So, I'm going to make another move here. From the Greek to the Hindu and now to the Yoruban. You might remember that you heard a little bit about Yoruban spiritual practice and mythologies in the show that I did about Ishu. Well, in Yoruban traditional music, they focus on the deities. There is a lot of drumming and singing. Those are the main elements of Yoruban music. And there is a different drum beat and a different drum to call each one of the deities. In Yoruban religion, music is used, the drumming and the dancing and the singing, to invite the gods, the Orishas, to come down and party with us. So by drumming, uh, to call Oya, for example, and I'm using her as a great as my example because we're going to go a little bit deeper into Oya later on in this program. By drumming to call down Oya, you're inviting her energy to come down and party with you. Now, I don't know the backgrounds of these couple of bands that are going to play later on this afternoon at the music festival, but I couldn't help but notice that uh, later on today, on Saturday, at 5.30, there is a band from Sierra Leone, Janka Nambe and the Boo Boo Gang, And then at 8.45, there is a 
another group, the Dogon Lights, and their members come from a variety of backgrounds, including South Africa and Cuba. The little bit that I dipped into their, the music of these two groups, I could really feel the influences of, um, of this Yoruban idea of calling down the gods. So I hope I'm not trespassing on their program and musical identity to say that, but I'm very interested to see how the mythological roots and the instruments and the influences that these two groups use might relate to um, some of what I'm talking about here. And I'm certainly going to be there to hear the music, so even if Oya doesn't show up, maybe we can dance together. Okay, so most of the time that I've been talking to you about mythology in the last few weeks, I've been talking to you because I'm interested in change and transition. How does mythology help us navigate that? And now today, specifically, we've been talking about music and the creative dance between the masculine and the feminine. And now introducing this notion of the Yoruban and calling in forces, creative forces, divine forces, I want to uh, talk to you specifically about Oya. Because Oya the Yoruban goddess of the whirlwind speaks to us quite often, I think, out here in the Mojave Desert, where the wind is something that we are frequently in conversation with. Oya, in Yoruban, uh, the Yoruban pantheon is associated with wind, storms, lightning, tornadoes, there, her images often show her dancing with wildly swirling skirts so that you get this image of tremendous amount of energy. Energy that can even be, bring destruction. She's the spirit of change and the spirit of the chaos that often comes with that. Now, she's, her associations are much broader than what I've just outlined here. But let's stop here for a moment. And because this is a show about music, uh, I thought what I would do is first play you a bit of music that is Oya's drumming. And this is uh, from the Drums of Passion by Babatundi Olantunji. And uh, it's a song to Oya called Primitive Fire. Thank you. 
Oya, she who rides with the wind. Oya was married to Ogun, who is the god of war and metal. But she left him to marry Shango, the god of thunder and lightning. That's why there is usually a very strong wind that blows that precedes a big storm. So let me tell you a story about Oya and Shango. Shango was at a party one day, having the time of his life. He was drinking and dancing, swaying his hips. saw this. Well, days go by and Shango's nowhere to be found. Oyo, however, was wondering where he was. She had already left her husband Ogun and she was at Shango's house anxiously awaiting for him to return. And the days went by and finally she, she started poking around his house and she discovered his pilon which is a wooden pillar that he used to sit on. Uh, I sort of see this as a pestle uh, because she found his pilon and his other magical object, which was a mortar, which is where Chango hides his secrets. She was very worried about Chango, but she was very inquisitive about what was so special about these two objects. And since he wasn't there to stop her, she removed the red cloth that was covering them. And at first, they didn't seem to have anything special about them. But then she looked into the mortar and she noticed that it was kind of gleaming and she looked closer. And she saw that there was a kind of a clear liquid inside the mortar that started vibrating. And as she watched it and watched it, an image took shape in, the, in this fluid. She saw the face and body of her lover, Shango. And she saw that he was being held captive by his enemies. Oya saw that he was locked in a cage fit for a dog and that his enemies were all around him making fun of him. She also saw that he was furious and desperate to get out of the cage, but he couldn't because he didn't have any of his powers. He had been taken by surprise. Oya got very, very upset about this and lightning sparks started to form in her hair and she yelled up to the sky and called for a lightning bolt to come down and help her. And it did. And with the image of Chango's face reflected in the liquid, she put it to her lips to kiss 
him to kiss the face of her beloved, and the instant that her lips and her mouth touched the liquid, they started to burn furiously. She staggered back and forth, wondering where the heat was coming from. She ran outside to the well to grab some water, but nothing eased the pain. Finally, Oya opened her mouth wide because she could not stand the burning sensation, and when she did, a huge fireball came out of her mouth. Everywhere she turned and screamed, fire was released from her mouth, and everything was burning. At this moment, a lightning bolt crackled in the sky and fell right to her feet, and Oya screamed again and stepped onto the lightning bolt. The lightning bolt rose into the sky with Oya standing on it and took her to where Shango was held captive. She landed there screaming these burning fireballs. Chango's enemies saw her coming and were so afraid that they just ran away. And of course, Oya went to the cage and released her lover, Chango. At first, he couldn't figure out how she could have done it. And then he saw the last whispers of flame coming from her lips and understood that his new mistress, Oya, had gotten into his magical powers. They got onto a thunderbolt together, and they rose up into the sky, and they went back home. And when they both arrived back at Shango's place, Oyo turned to Shango and spoke to him of her deep love, and he was very happy that she had released him. But he was also upset that she had discovered his secret. Now, from that day forward, whenever Shango goes into battle, his mistress Oya goes in alongside him, fighting. What I like about that story of Oyo and Shango is their need for each other, the masculine and the feminine working together. They're different. They have different powers. But the survival of each depends on their collaboration. A lot like music, part skill part inspiration, the instruments, and the feeling. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave this week. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you'll tune in again next Saturday at 3. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find me, uh, Myth in the Mojave, on Facebook. So I'm going to close this week with another piece of music. It's Brazilian Candelobe, which is the spiritual practice of Yoruban slaves that were brought to that country. It's also to Oya. I'll see you at the Joshua Tree Music Festival. In the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. Thank you,